This is the Faith Debate, a theological roundtable gab fest, a free-for-all forum with faith community leaders wrestling over the truth. In less than one half hour, learn more about what really matters than what most others learn in a week. The Faith Debate is on the World Wide Web at WFMD.com, keyword faith. Are you ready for the clash of ideas? Are you ready for the sound of freedom? Let's get ready to rumble in this corner, weighing in with the Master of Divinity from Reformed Theological Seminary, the Faith Debate Master of Ceremonies, oh, yeah. <laughs> Troy Skinner. Thank you for spending part of your Sunday morning with me again. Very much appreciated. Well, last couple of weeks we were talking about voting habits and what a biblically informed Christian should uh, you know, think about when they go to cast a ballot for a Democrat, Republican, that sort of thing. And we had a few thoughts that were kind of left uh, on the table that it didn't have time to get to. And we're transitioning this week into something new, an article from the Gospel Coalition that uh, I want to draw attention to for, for all Christian believers uh, who listen to this show. Uh, but the part of that that I want to share today uh, isn't quite long enough to cover all of the time we have together. So I'm going to share those last few minutes of comments about the election stuff from last week, and then we'll transition right into that article from the Gospel Coalition, okay? So I I might be in mid-sentence or mid-thought here. I'm not exactly sure, to be honest, but I think in the context of election and voting, it'll make sense to you. So again, thanks for listening to the Faith Debate. Follow us online, WFMD.com. Follow me personally online at householdoffaithinchrist.com. Anyway, hope you enjoy the show today. And if you're going to say, well, they're not really a, a, a real person until they get to this particular point in development. If you're opposed to what the world labels as racism, I would ask you to have the same concern about what I would think the Bible would have us believe about ageism. Somebody shouldn't be killed. or do, It's not okay to kill someone just because they're young. They're not as old as some other people. So I'll, I'll leave it on that. There's, there is no justification for it. Now, what about if the woman's life is in danger? You try to save the baby, you try to save the mother, and if the baby should happen to die in those efforts, that's not a sin. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the purposeful ending of someone's life in horrifying ways, okay? Seriously, it's, it's gruesome. So we cannot, as God's people, support these things. And so the last pastoral thing I need to say is we're talking about all this darkness that's in the world, all these things that can create angst. We care about this because we are in the world and because we are uh, called to try to do good to the city, right? We're God's people and we're, and we're sojourners, but we are called by God to try to do good for the city. So we care about these things. That's why we care about the unborn. We care about the poor. We care about our neighbors. We care about the rich. We care about everybody. We're supposed to anyway. We care because we're in the world. God has placed us here at at a moment such as this, at a time such as this, to, to be prayer warriors and to be advocates and to be bold and not worry about whether the world's going to hate you. We're supposed to do all of that. But let's not forget, even though it's true that we're in the world, we are not of the world. And our hope does not rest on the outcome of this election. It does not rest on what our government does or doesn't do. It doesn't rest on anything at all like that. We care about it. We're passionate about it. We should be involved and be agents of change, positive change, biblical worldview, all of that. But at the end of it all, we know that Christ is victorious. He has won. A beautiful change is coming. It might come before I finish this next sentence, or it might come in a thousand years, but it is coming and it is guaranteed, and that's where our hope is. Our hope is in the 
perfectly trustworthy promise that God has made in his son by the blood of Christ. That's our hope. And if you don't understand that hope, private message me. I would love to talk to you about that. And speaking of words of warning, I think I've referenced it on uh, this channel before that uh, when I'm going to officiate a wedding, I use a, uh, a book written by Tim and Kathy Keller called The Meaning of Marriage. For my money, it is the best book on marriage for premarital counseling uh, out there. Um, and it's an excellent book, and The Prodigal uh, God is another excellent book by Tim Keller, and there are others. He's written some excellent books. But there's some stuff that Tim Keller has been writing and saying, particularly of late, that is rather concerning. And so now I have to add a word of caution. Whenever I recommend The Meaning of Marriage by the Kellers, I say, by the way, just because I'm recommending this book doesn't mean I can recommend all of his books and articles. Um, he's drifting into Wokeville a little bit, and it's concerning. And it's not just Tim. It's other aspects of the PCA, which is a, a wonderful denomination, Presbyterian Church in America, and yet they're having some issues, huge issues in the Southern Baptist Convention. And I mention this because these are places where in the past, Bible-believing, you know, Bible-thumpers, right? Conservatives, they could count on the Southern Baptist Convention churches. They could count on the PCA. They could count on people like Tim Keller to be biblical in their approach. And it's just not as true as it once was. And a place I used to point people to with regularity when they had questions, you know, a good resource to go online is the Gospel Coalition. The Gospel Coalition is actually Tim Keller's involved in that and some other high-profile, big-name people, very respected people in a lot of ways. And a lot of the stuff that you find on the Gospel Coalition's website is very good. It's among the best stuff you're going to find. Unfortunately, it's now mixed with stuff like what I'm going to share with you now. So you can't automatically trust what you get from the Gospel Coalition. You can't automatically trust what you're getting from most places anymore. Not that we maybe should have. We should all be Bereans at heart, like in the book of Acts, and we should check everything against the, what the scriptures say. Uh, but now more than ever, there's so much stuff online that's available, and you've got to have a discerning heart and spirit uh, and have yourself educated in the word of God, uh, be, be rooted in the word of God to recognize things that are faulty when you see them. I'm going to share this article so you can see why on the face of it, oh, it doesn't sound so bad until you hear my commentary on it be like, oh, yeah, maybe that's not so good. It's an article called Five Questions Christians Should Ask About the Great Reset. If you don't know what the Great Reset is, you'll find out as I read the article, so bear with me. It's written by uh, a very smart guy, Chris uh, Watkin. He says, if you haven't heard of the Great Reset yet, you probably will soon. It's filling the column inches of the world's major newspapers, and it's unleashed quite a storm on social media. Here are five key questions for thinking Christians who want to engage with the Great Reset from a biblical perspective. Well, that's a good start. Very promising. I'm excited. Are you? Number one, what is the Great Reset? The first question might seem obvious, but there's a significance in beginning with the question what rather than who. Much of the hostile reaction to the Great Reset has focused almost exclusively on who is pushing the agenda and one or two choice quotations rather than what they're saying in detail. Yeah, but what if the who are Maoist communists, for example? What if that's who is advocating these ideas? Should that 
inform our thinking a little bit? Should we not consider the source? In that case, should we not consider the source always? Whenever you hear something, you should always ask, says who? Who says? It's a legitimate question. It's one of the reasons why when you're studying a, a, a passage in the Bible, a book of the Bible, you want to understand who's the author? Who's he writing to? What's the context? Who says? So he's wrong right off the bat. It's not inappropriate to ask who. In fact, it's a must. You've got to ask the question, who? He goes on to say, uh, the reason that he doesn't like starting with who is this risks descending into ad hominem argument, dismissing an idea because of who is saying it and ignoring what they are saying. I'm not saying you ignore what they're saying and dismiss it. I'm saying you need to be informed about what is the perspective they're bringing to the table. Right? It's, it, it's important to, to read what they're saying in context of that, but it's also, you can understand when you're reading, what they're not saying. If you know who it is, you're more aware of what they're not saying, which is sometimes critically important. So then back to uh, Mr. Watkins' article. So let's first sketch the what before we turn to the who. The Great Reset is an attempt to seize the moment of the COVID-19 crisis to build a better society where better means three things, greener, more digital, and fairer. Well, let me stop there. Um, the Great Reset Initiative predates COVID-19 by a stretch. So for him to say that they're merely using COVID, they are using COVID-19 to accelerate it, but it predates COVID-19. The idea of things being greener, okay, that can sound okay, but at what cost? More digital. Things being more digital, is that necessarily better? And things being fairer, fairer according to who? These are the kinds of things we should be asking when we're having a discussion with people about the Great Reset. Uh, it's driven by a feeling that the financial crisis of the late 2000s was a missed opportunity. Trillions of dollars were handed out in stimulus package, packages, but nothing really changed, and no measures were taken to stop it all happening again. As we've Famously heard said, you never let a good crisis go to waste, right? So he seems to be advocating for that, interestingly to me. Now for the who, he says. The Great Reset is the brainchild of Professor Klaus Schwab, founder of the World Economic Forum. If you don't know anything about them, you should do some homework on what the World Economic Forum is all about. That gathers many of the world's political and corporate leaders for a summit each January in the Swiss ski resort of Davos. The gathering typically attracts corporate luminaries such as Bill Gates and the heads of Coca-Cola, Goldman Sachs, and IBM, who can be seen rubbing shoulders with presidents and prime ministers and celebrities such as Bono and the Prince of Wales. Sounds like a liberal fest <laughs> right off the bat. Interesting. Behind the glitz, the WEF, the World Economic Forum, has a clear agenda for social change. Alongside co-author Theory Malaret, Schwab argues in his recently published book, COVID-19, The Great Reset, he argues for stakeholder capitalism. That's what they call it. The idea is that capitalism should not just benefit shareholders, but also employees, consumers, communities, and the environment, as if it doesn't already. Schwab writes on his website that on the World Economic Forum website, the world must act jointly and swiftly to 
revamp all aspects of our societies. That's a quote. And, and economies. This is all a quote. From education to social contracts and working conditions, every country from the United States to China must participate and every industry from oil and gas to tech must be transformed. In short, we need a great reset of capitalism. The World Economic Forum calls for nothing less than a new social contract centered on human dignity and social justice. A new social contract centered on human dignity is code for a leftist LGBTQ agenda. And social justice, that's the language of the neo-Marxists. That's Black Lives Matter, that's wokeness. All right, do we have your attention? So number two, Mr. Watkins writes, what has been the reaction? To put it mildly, the Great Reset and its parent body, the World Economic Forum, have caused mixed reactions. United Kingdom Prime Minister Boris Johnson boycotted Davos in 2020 because, because quote, our focus, is on, our focus is on delivering for the people, not champagne with billionaires. So he boycotted, but not for the right reasons. And Finance Minister uh, Matthias Corman was the only Australian senior minister to attend this year. Perhaps predictably, he writes, social media has fomented a frenzy of negativity around the World Economic Forum. Great Reset regularly trended on Twitter in the second half of 2020 and not in an affirming way. The main criticism is that it represents a socialist, globalist conspiracy in which a small, transnational, unelected elite are cooking up a self-serving agenda for global control and dominance at the expense of the rest of us. Whatever we make of theories like this, they eloquently testify to society's deep lack of trust in authorities and elites today. A lack of trust from which churches also suffer. Now notice the unspoken hints in what he's written and how he said it, trying to plant seeds of doubt in the mind of the reader. No doubt that this is just some sort of, you know, just some sort of wacky conspiracy theory that's out there, right? Well, you know, I want to say that there are such things as conspiracy facts. So let's keep that in mind. Back to the article. Most Christians who have voiced an opinion seem negatively disposed towards the Great Reset. Well, I would say praise God. Particularly in the United States with its strong cultural value of independence. Now, this is a theme these days. Independence and individuality are painted in you know, denigrating terms are dismissed as bad things. That's not necessarily true. Anyway, the strong cultural values in the United States of independence and suspicion of centralized authority. And so it's interesting the way, again, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but being, most of the people I know that are opposed to centralized authority, they are anti-totalitarianism. <laughs> They're anti communists, they're anti-bureaucracy uh, you know, that's being used uh, you know, uh, to, to counteract what the church is trying to do for the kingdom of God. Those sorts of attitudes used to be counted as a good thing. You'd think a writer from the Gospel Coalition might think that there's some good in that. He writes, some see in the World Economic Forum the specter of world government and the new world order, identifying it with the Antichrist. 
Others bristle at the wokeness of its agenda, seeing a further erosion of Christian values in society. And it seems that our author here, Mr. Watkins, is not in these groups. That's concerning to me. So how should Christians think through how to respond to a political or cultural initiative such as the Great Reset? Here are three ideas to get the ball rolling. Now we started excited, like this is good. Now I'm not so excited. So now I'm reading these suggestions with some suspicion. So he says, how do... Um, how does the Bible diagonalize the debate? Boy, do they like that sort of idea with the Gospel Coalition, or what some like to call Big Eva, the big evangelical church in America. Yeah, the, uh, the Gospel Coalition is, uh, it, you can almost argue they're fixated on finding a third way to everything. There's not the conservative or traditional or biblical way versus the, the pagan leftist anti-God way. There's, there's some middle ground. We should be moderates. We should find a, a middle path. We should diagonalize the debate, in other words. He writes, Mr. Watkin does, time and time again, the Bible disrupts and reorganizes the terms of contemporary social and intellectual debates. In terms of the Great Reset, we're dealing with two camps. The utopians, which he calls Great Resetters, and the pessimists, critics of the Great Reset. Now, it's interesting that he wants to paint those who are in favor of the Great Reset as the utopians. You usually think of utopia as good, but in this case, I would argue, I don't have time to get deep into it right now, but I would throw out there that it is a, a faux utopia, okay? For all fake news, well, this is fake utopia. It's a Tower of Babylon they're trying to build. That's what's going on here. And then he talks about the pessimists. So those who are, who are fighting for truth are pessimistic. Usually that's painting things negatively. It's, it, it can often be used in a pejorative way. I'm not saying he's necessarily doing that here, but it's interesting that you have the utopia view which, versus the pessimistic view. You know, it's concerning that those with biblical scruples are, uh, are, are labeled this particular way. The utopians seem to suggest, I'm reading his article again, the utopians seem to suggest that a rosy future is ours if only we work together to make the right measures Take the right measures now. The pessimists see only a cabal of the privileged engaged in a Machiavellian plot to control our lives. He's painting, he's making stick figures here. So, you know, these, are, these are straw men arguments, but I'll have more to say about that as we continue to read. How does the Bible diagonalize this dichotomy? by showing that both sides are peddling reductive simplifications of a complex Christian view of time, society, and humanity. Uh, the Great Resetters are not wrong to want to make society better. Okay, but the Bible defines what's better. Right? We should look to the Bible to see what's better, what's best, what's right, what's good. Not secular humanists. Not those who... who uh, who reject that there even is a creator, much, much less those of us who want to embrace, embrace the creation mandate. Um, and speaking of that, he says, um, what makes society better, that is part of the creation mandate. But their trust in centralized authorities and concentrations of power without very clear checks and balances is naive about the human heart 
and the consequences of the fall. Now, there's some truth in that, but they're not just naive, they're blind to it. Those that don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, they don't see the way things, things the way the Christians see things. They're blind to it, not merely naive about it. Um, meanwhile, the critics are not wrong to be suspicious of control and concentrated power, but their cynicism stops their ears to the responsibility we all have to steward the natural and cultural worlds, a charge we cannot meet unless we work together in some form. First of all, that's not true. People who are opposed to the idea of the Great Reset or sound the alarm about the Great Reset, they don't have their ears stopped and they're not rejecting the cultural uh, mandate and, uh, and the creation mandate to be good stewards. Not at all. That is flatly not true. And then, uh, where did I leave off? So, he um, says it's a charge we... We're charged with uh, being good stewards, all that sort of stuff. It's a charge we cannot meet unless we work together in some form. Work together with Satanists? What about being unequally yoked? Should we be concerned about that gospel coalition? In short, both the optimists and the pessimists take part of a complex truth and make it the whole straw man. The great resetters underplay the fall and the critics underplay the creation mandate. Again, that's not true. I can speak for myself. I am strongly concerned about the great reset. I'm warning against it and I'm not rejecting these mandates from scripture. So I guess he's talking about everybody else who's opposed to the great reset except me. Well, that's not true. The Great Resetters have an over-realized secular eschatology. <laughs> Does it matter if it's over or under-realized if it's secular? Who cares about the secular eschatology, for crying out loud? We should care about the biblical eschatology. While the critics take human greed and sinfulness as a reason not to work for the peace and prosperity of the cities in which we find ourselves. Again, the critics are us, the Christians, right? The Christians... The awakened to the threat Christians are the critics, and we take human greed and sinfulness as a reason not to work for the peace and prosperity of the cities in which we find ourselves. Again, that is not true. There is no real deal Christian who's saying anything remotely like that. None that I know of, none. And if they were, I would correct them on it. And they would come to see their way because the Holy Spirit would move because they're Christians. By contrast, Christians who want to offer a full-orbed biblical response should give full weight in biblical proportion to creation, fall, redemption, and consummation, to human potential and to human perversity. Well, of course. Of course. So he gets that part right. But you know what? When we do that, guess what happens? We reject the Great Reset. That's what happens. So he gives, says, here's what we need to do, and by doing it, you have to fight against the Great Reset, and yet he's telling us we shouldn't fight against it. Talking out of both sides of his mouth. Very discouraging that this is published by the Gospel Coalition. Incredibly discouraging. So his fourth bullet point, what's the biblical alternative? 
It's easy, he writes, to be an armchair critic or indeed an armchair cheerleader for an agenda like the Great Reset, but neither of these responses comes close to capturing the radical, powerful vision for society that flows from a deep engagement with the Bible. Okay, fine. That's good as far as it goes. We'll give him a gold star for that short paragraph. We Christians should not be content to fall into lockstep with an initiative like the Great Reset. <laughs> <laughs> nor to take pot shots at it from the sidelines. So warnings against a system that makes humans godlike, right? Makes these elites like they're gods. We're going to tell everybody else how things should be done. If we warn against that, we're just taking pot shots. Watkin writes, we must let the Bible... Set its, own, uh, set its own table, so to speak, not simply responding to the terms of the debate set out in the Great Reset, but showing how biblical patterns can shape a society for the good of all people in areas such as debt, social cohesion, inequality, and welfare. I don't know who he hangs out with, but this is what faithful pastors and faithful Christians do every day. Who is he talking to? Who is he trying to call to account here? I have no idea. And we're going to pause there and uh, pick up next week where we left off because this is a two-part message talking about all this stuff about the Great Reset and what the Gospel Coalition has to say about it these days. And uh, yeah, I'm still, I'm still uh, disconcerted about what comes out of the Gospel Coalition these days. Thanks for listening. I encourage you to listen again next week for the next part. I encourage you to follow us online on WFMD.com. I encourage you to follow me online. The easiest way to probably connect with me Go to householdoffaithinchrist.com, and, and uh, you can get with all my social media and everything I'm doing pretty much there, householdoffaithinchrist.com. Again, thanks for listening. Till next week, 167 and a half hours from right now. God bless.